Good morning. Welcome to our Sunday morning service. It is a beautiful October day today. What a blessing it is to be back with you and to be able to break the bread of life with you today. I trust that uh, you are supporting and attending your local church, whether it is by Facebook Live, some other media event, or in person, if that opportunity is there for you. Um, also, for those of you who are worried about exposure to COVID and you're staying in and taking care of yourselves, God bless you. I want you to continue to do that. Welcome to you this morning also. We're glad that you chose to join us. Take the opportunity. Contact family, friends, neighbors, others that you think may be interested and have them join us as well. We're going to be going deep into God's Word today. It's going to be a blessing if you'll let it. But first, let's do some prayer requests, okay? Let's remember our nation. Let's remember our nation because we are becoming temperamental as Election Day moves forward. The things that are at stake in this election are near and dear to every one of us. Some of us see a, and realize the biblical um, sincerity and severity of this election. Many others in our nation do not. They are blinded to the spiritual consequences of this election. We want to pray earnestly for God's will. For God's will. Not the Republicans, not the Democrats. God's will. That's what should be important to everyone in the church. So, let's remember to pray for our nation. Let's pray for the those that are being injured in protests and riots and, and altercations. Let's pray for the lost. Seriously. Let's pray for the lost. We have to be we have to be convicted. We have to be really convicted of lost people. Let's pray for that conviction. Also, there are many out there who are who are dealing with and struggling with illnesses other than COVID. There are cancers. There's pneumonias. There are injuries. There are people who are hurting spiritually and emotionally. Let's pray for them. Maybe you have a prayer request. You're welcome to share it if you feel the need to do so. I want to encourage you to. Christians, as you're watching and you see these prayer requests come up, or if they're added in comments, lift them up in your prayers, in your daily prayer life. Let's use Facebook as a means to lift up Jesus. We, we see it used all the time to tear down people. While I believe censorship is going to be coming to Facebook, in the means of persecution to Christianity, but it has not arrived as of yet. Let's take advantage of this. 
Let's lift up the Word of God. Will you join me in prayer? And then we'll be turning to Mark chapter 3. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity of coming before you this week and uh, breaking the bread of life in front of these people. And Heavenly Father, you know all the hearts that are listening and watching today. Lord, I pray that you would move in a mighty way among all their hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would supply me with the words to, to preach the message you've given today. I thank you for all the resources that you've put at my disposal this week as I have worked through this passage. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all of the work that you're doing around this world. And I thank you for the work that you're doing through this ministry. I thank you for the souls that are saved. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the lives that are changed and moved closer to you. Lord, I know you're not done yet. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll open doors that you would have us to walk through. I pray that you would open venues to preach your word. Heavenly Father, I leave it laying at your feet because it is your word that will not return to you void but will accomplish all you have purposed it to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, now we're turning to God's Word. And as you open your Bibles, and I want to encourage you to do so, I'm going to be reading from the Word of God, but I trust you to open your Bible. I trust you to follow along. I trust you to let God's Word be in front of you where you're at today. Beginning with chapter 3, in chapter 3 and verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, can you imagine for one moment how controversial that was even in that day, especially in that day? Very controversial. Everybody stands back aghast and says, What did he say? Well, there's more to that passage than what he said. I want you to picture this scene in your head. Jesus in the city of Capernaum, and he's there surrounded by a very large crowd of people, and most of them are there to hear what he has to say because they're so fascinated by his message and by the miracles he has been doing. If we go back to verse 20 of chapter 3, we will see that over again. Those people, they were there to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there is a second group of people there though. They were there to find fault with Jesus and they were there to find it with his words and his works. And we can go back to chapter 3 verse 22 and we can find that. So the religious crowds and their leaders, they have came to hear Jesus and have came to listen to what he has to say, but they've came to do it in a way that they can accuse him 
of being in league with Satan. These people are there to hinder the Lord's work. But there was a third group of people. They were a third group that was there in Capernaum that day, and they are called the friends of Jesus in verse 21. And the word friend literally means kinsman. This group is identified in the passage we just read as the Lord's family. Now it may be expanded to include other people, it may not, but kinsmen, friends, and family are synonymous in the passages that we're talking about. They came to Capernaum to rescue Jesus. Now think about that. His family, his mother and his brothers and his family members, they had arrived in Capernaum and they were there to, to take care of Jesus and to rescue him, not from, the, not from the multitude. And they weren't there to rescue him from the, uh, from the religious crowd, the scribes and the Pharisees. But they felt like they needed to be there to rescue Jesus from himself. They think Jesus has lost his mind, that he's become mentally ill. They've come to take him back home so that he can rest. They're worried about him. These people are there thinking that they can help Jesus. So, here we are. Those standing near the Lord are those who have came to hear him. Those who have came to follow him. They surround him as he speaks. They're listening. A little farther back we have those who have came to hinder the Lord. And then uh, those being described in the religious crowd. And then in the very back of the crowd is his family, the ones who came to help him in their mind. In these verses, they focus on Jesus and his earthly family. Jesus uses the arrival of his physical family, his earthly family, as an opportunity to teach us about relationships. Relationships, though, through his spiritual family. As the Lord gives liberty today, I want to examine these verses. They have some very profound spiritual lessons for you and I. And if we will receive them, and we will let them speak to our heart, they will teach us. And they will draw us closer to Jesus. So let's look on in this scene and see if we can grasp the truth that's contained here. I want to preach around the question, which family do you belong to? Which family do you belong to? Notice first in verses 31 through 33, there's a very tense moment. Jesus is teaching, his family shows up. Their, their arrival creates a moment of tension for everyone that's there. You know, when someone is in a controversial spot, whether it's politics or religion or whatever, and the person there is handling it and handling it well, and then their family arrives, it becomes a tense moment. Because what happens are those who are there to hinder, those who are there to create a controversy, those who are there to to create tension. They, they're afraid. The one speaking, the one teaching, 
the one who's at attention there in the center of attention, is worried that their family is going to be a picture of an attack. It makes a very tense moment. Now, of course, that's in my life and your life, but that may not be in Jesus' life. But understand the tensions were escalated. They were probably so thick you could cut them with a knife. Because all of those standing around had word that Jesus' mother and brethren were here and they were in the back. What's the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious crowd going to do? What are the naysayers going to do to his family? Do we want to get them up here with us? What's going to happen? Can you see that teacher? Then we see from that teaching comes the family's request. Jesus is teaching. And here his family's on the outside. They can't get to him because of the multitude. So they send word through the crowd to tell Jesus to come to them. So the Jesus family's in the back and they're tapping this one on the shoulder. Pass, it, pass the word up. Tell Jesus to come back here and see his mama. And then that one tells another one and tells another one and tells another one. And finally it makes its way to the front where Jesus is there. And what does Jesus do? Jesus keeps on. You see, his family's there because they think he's lost his mind. They came to do an intervention. They came to do an intervention on Jesus and get him to come back home so that they can calm him down and maybe get his mind right again. But Jesus would have none of it. You see, Jesus wasn't there of his own free will. He was there on his father's will. We're going to get into more of that as the message goes. So there we have the family's request, but what about the crowd's reaction? You see, we were talking about the situation where they were at the back of the crowd and they were asking to tell one another to bring him back. And the crowd sees nothing wrong with it. Because in that society, in that day, nothing was more important than the immediate family. Nothing. You see, there were no social systems. There were no welfare. There was no social security. There was no disability. There were no EBT or food stamps. Or, there were none of those things. There were no, uh, there were, there were no dist food distribution centers. There was nothing like that that went on. Family took care of family. That's the way it was. That's the way it's been throughout history, actually up until the early 20th century, for here in America anyway. So you see, the crowd's reaction was, oh yeah, let me help you out there. They were willing to get that word, that message up there to come back and see mama, see the family, because they knew how important family was. And that says a lot about today. Today, I see us losing track of how important the family is. There are daddies who will father children and walk away from them and not give a second thought. There are children who will put their parents in nursing homes and walk away and not give it a second thought. There are things in our lives that we can't do 
for parents and we can't do for children. But walking away is not one of the things that we should be doing. We should be helping and we should be closer. The, the difficulties and the challenges in life should be pulling us together, not tearing us apart. Families are divided today over something as frivolous as politics. They're divided today over things that are as frivolous as opinions on matters. You've got mamas and daddies that won't pray in front of their children. You've got children that won't be led by their parents. You've got disobedience and unruliness in every household, it seems. Folks, families, let's get this thing together and let's get it right. It was important enough in Jesus' day for the crowds to be able to take their attention off of Jesus and put it on getting the message of the family. Now, how that message plays out and works is one thing, but the fact of respecting the position of the family was there. You and I need to respect the family. We need to get back to a point where we're in love with the family. Daddies, don't worry about the secretaries at work. Worry about your family. Mamas, don't worry about the delivery men that are coming. Don't worry about the people who are making their big money and the big jobs at work. Don't worry about how you're going to impress anyone but your husband. Husbands and wives, worry about your children. Children, listen to your daddies and your mamas. Daddies. Daddies. Take your family to church. Put them under the Word of God. Under the teaching of God. You humble yourself under the teaching of God. Where the Father goes, do you realize 93% of the time when the Father goes to church and gets his heart right with God and leads by a godly example, the family follows 93% of the time? Amazing. Daddies, God's put an awesome responsibility on you, but he's gifted you with an awesome gift to lead the family. Not by a strong arm, not by a vulgar mouth, but by grace and mercy through the love of Jesus. That was the crowd's reaction. Now let's look at the Lord's response from verse 30. Three. Instead of stopping, Jesus asked, Who is my mother and my brethren? So they get the message to Jesus. Your mama, and your brothers, and your family, they're in the back. Jesus asked the question, Who is my mother and my brethren? Well, I'm sure there were some that were saying, Well, if you'll look, Way back there, you'll see Mama waving. That's not what Jesus meant. He was using the situation as a teachable moment. That's what we call it today. When controversial things come into play and we can teach a lesson from them, we call it a teachable moment, don't we? Well, that's what Jesus had here. The crowds must have been shocked to hear him say that. And can you imagine how his mother felt? 
Can you imagine how his mother felt when Jesus spoke up and Jesus asked, Who is my mother and my brothers? Can you imagine how angry his brothers must have been? Can you imagine they traveled from Nazareth this far to come and get him and to help him? And Jesus asked, Who are they? Who are my mother, my, my mother and my brethren? Who are they? Can you imagine the tension that increased and escalated at that time? They felt like Jesus had a mental problem. Now they're convinced that he's got a mental problem that they don't, and he won't even recognize who his immediate family is. Maybe the, maybe the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, maybe they were right when they said he was insane. Can you imagine all of that? While the reaction of Jesus may seem cold, his response was designed to teach this very important lesson. And it's broken down into a couple of different elements. First, the spiritual business has priority over earthly business. Spiritual business has priority over earthly business. The Lord's family had their attention focused on earthly things, on fleshly concerns. I'm not saying that they were wicked people. But what I'm saying is they were concerned more with the public perception of Jesus and the public perception of themselves than they were of the spiritual direction Jesus was going. Jesus had his attention focused on carrying out God the Father's business. To Jesus, nothing was more important. John chapter 4, verses 32, 33, and 34 says, But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples to one another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. You see, Jesus saw God the Father's wisdom and will as spiritual food. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus lived that. Jesus' priorities was God first, then family. That ought to tell us something about our priorities today. I've recently done a couple of weddings, and in the first one that I done, I made a made a point to bring out a little wall hanging that my wife and I have in our home. It says, "Marriage takes three: God, a loving, obey, obedient husband, and a loving, obedient wife." But it takes God first. In everything in life. In the home. In our country. In our government structure. In our churches. In our hospitals and healthcare systems. It doesn't matter what you want to play into this thing. It, God must come first. It must be God. At the top, the number one priority. 
God's people need the same heart as Jesus. The Lord saved us to serve him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Now Jesus has every right to expect us to place his will ahead of our will. We, if we're saved today, church, saint of God, let me have your attention, your undivided attention. If we're saved today and we are holding on to the saved by grace through faith message, do we have God's will as top priority in our life? Does the Word of God hold a place, esteem the number one spot so that His will can come from it into our lives and be flowing out to transform the lives of others? It's something that we have to ask ourselves. Too often, we're more concerned with making a living than doing the will of God. And I'm not saying we shouldn't work. I'm not saying we shouldn't work to improve ourselves and get promotions and, and do better for ourselves and our family. But it should never take a precedence over the will of God. Does God want you to have that promotion? Does God want you to have things, this, these things, does God want you to have this vehicle? Does God want you to have this house? What's God's will toward these things? We get more concerned with our own wants than what are the needs of others. Oftentimes, I'll hear people say, well, I need this or I need that. In reality, when you're listening to them, you understand it's not a need, it's a want. And I'm not saying Christians should not, meet, not satisfy some wants in our lives. But when we have hungry children, when we have people that can't meet their bills and their payments because they've lost their jobs because of COVID or whatever it may be. Folks, there are, what I'm trying to get you to see, there are opportunities of helping people. Let me give you an example of something that God laid on my wife's heart that we started doing two or three years ago and we still practice it to this day. We call them mission bags. We'll go through Walmart or Roses or pick a store, any store, and there will be the little small backpacks there. And they'll be a decent, durable pack. We'll buy them for 3 to $10. Depends on where they're at and what time of the year it is. But we'll bring them home. My wife will be very frugal and while she's out shopping, she'll see things and, excuse me, she'll say, that'll work in the packs and this will work in the packs and these will work in the packs. And she'll buy them and she'll build them out for the time of the year that it is. 
She'll put clothing in there. She'll put some non-perishable foods in there. She'll put some different things that they may need, toiletries and things like that in there that they may not have, that folks may not have. We'll always place a Bible in there. And inside that Bible, we'll place a $20 bill. We'll close it. We'll put it in there. Now, there's no guarantee that the person who gets this is going to open that Bible. There's just not. But you see, it's in that Bible for a reason. This person, man or woman, whomever it may be, they love they love the idea of getting these things, and we'll give them to the homeless people, the people who are standing on the side of the road holding the signs, or wherever that God may lead us to hand one of them out, we will. And if they choose to take that Bible and give it to somebody else, or give it to a shelter, or give it to somewhere else, then they don't choose to open it then they give away not only the most valuable gift they have, which is the Word of God, but they give away the blessing of that $20 bill. Somebody down the road is going to be blessed by the Word of God and by that physical blessing of that $20 bill. Once we give it out, it's up to God the Holy Spirit to convict. He's given us the direction to give. Am I saying that to lift us up? No, I'm giving you an example of where God has worked in our life of putting the needs of others. And those that's one example. I could go on to several others, but listen. We can look and we can pray and we can ask God. What will you have me to do? And then if we're going to ask it, be prepared for him to give an answer. But be prepared to receive that answer, church. Be prepared, saint of God, to receive the answer. And whether It's not about whether you like it. It's not about whether it's a matter for popular opinion. It's a matter of what God has chosen, what he wants in your life, and what he wants to do through your life and through your church. What will you do? Will you focus on your own wants or will you focus on the needs of others? We're more concerned about trivial affairs of life than we are about the souls of men. We're more concerned about what's it going to look like if we bring those people into the church than we are about what's God got to say about their souls. When is the last time you talked to someone with the intention of spreading Jesus for their soul? That's a real question, folks. That's a heavy question. It's a heavy question with a heavy response. It's a yes or no. It's you'll remember that time or you won't remember that. I have some dear friends that are fundamentalists, and I love them. I love them dearly. And they'll go out, and they'll knock on doors, and they'll do what's called soul winning. But here's something that really, that, that really 
hinders them. Those folks that they go out and they practice soul winning, they may come to church. They may not be well received because they don't know the vocabulary of the church. <clears throat> they don't know the dress codes of the church. They don't know what we expect and they don't know what we want. So we won't talk to them. We won't associate with them. Oh, oh my goodness, this is getting, it's getting personal, isn't it? Folks, the reality is their soul is at stake. Have they really been saved? If they have, it's time for them to move in and be loved by the church so they can be taught. Are we so lost and wrapped up in trivial things that we no longer care about the souls of people, about their salvation, about their growth. We could go on and on with that. And we probably spend more time praying for personal needs and wants than we do for the power of God to be, to be brought into our life in the life of her church. The power of God. Everybody loves the idea of power. We're in an election year and all we're hearing is power. Power and authority. There is no power that can match the power of God. But yet, do we seek it? Are we willing to fall down on our knees and seek the power of God, the moving of God in our personal lives and in the lives of our church? Or do we want Him to just grant our wishes? Goodness gracious, Son of God, we got to figure out where we're at in this thing. we got to figure out where we're standing in the crowd that's in front of Jesus. And when we figure out where we're at there, we got to figure out how we're behaving. How we're letting the message of the gospel spill into our lives. And we need to have the focus of our hearts adjusted. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 tells us to set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Oh my goodness, set our affection on things above. Be more wrapped up in the will of God than we are in the will of man. Be more wrapped up in the pleasing of God than we are the pleasing of man. Be more wrapped up in the work of Christ. Instead of what Christ can do in my life, what can Christ do through my life to reach others? Those are the spiritual business that should have some priority and the priority over earthly business. But then there are spiritual relationships that take priority over human relationships. Yes, family is important. It's all important, but it's not the most important. There are times when family 
can come between the believer and what the Lord wants to do through that believer. And what was the problem of the Lord and what he faced in these verses? Jesus and the family of Jesus. They came to stop him from doing what God the Father sent him to do. I want to share a story with you. I knew a pastor, Noah pastor. He got into the ministry and he got to preaching and God started blessing, put him into a pastorate. Things were growing smooth and working right along. His wife stepped up one afternoon said she was leaving him. She was leaving him for another man. She went on to talk about how she enjoyed going to church, but she didn't have no intentions of being a pastor's husband. She wanted a different kind of church life. She wanted a light church light. There's a lot of people out there today who want church light. She left him. She moved on and she married the man that she was messing around, she was fooling around with. And he remarried and you know what? When that pastor remarried, the religious crowd in his community crucified him. They crucified him. They didn't give any weight to what she done. They didn't give any weight to any scripture. But what they said is, oh, you can't do that. I'm not going to get into the both sides of the second marriage and husband of one wife. That's another message at another time. But what I want you to see is that sometimes people, even people that are close to you inside the church and outside the church can get in the way and try to hinder and the devil can move through them to try to hinder the work that God is trying to do and wanting to do. He tried to do it with Jesus. And you know what? The spiritual relationship that was there between his mother and his brothers and him was totally different than the physical relationship. But in that same voice, which is more important? Which is more important? The relationship someone has with Jesus Christ spiritually or some physical relationship that they may have as far as a name in the membership of the church, as far as being a pillar in the community, as far as being a big financial contributor, as far as being the philanthropist uh, whose name is at the top of the page in the paper. What's more important? When it comes down to the reality of things, what's more important? It is always that relationship with God. Always that relationship through Jesus Christ. Yes, if you have that right relationship 
you're going to be making the decisions that God would have you to make. If you have that right relationship, you're going to be doing the things that God would have you to do. It's going to be God that you give the glory to with it. If you find yourself in a spot where you want to stand against someone, you better know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have enough truth and evidence to support the stand you're going to make. And it's not just some emotional whim. That's the popularity of a crowd. You don't want to go down that road. You don't want to go down the road that Jesus' family was going down. You want to go down the road that God says we should be on. When it's time to choose between the Lord and something that comes with a family, a believer should always choose the Lord. You never love your family more than when you're totally dedicated to the Lord's will. Never. They may not see it, but it's true nonetheless. While earthly bonds are strong, and they should be strong, and they are important. They are always eclipsed by spiritual relationship. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Think not that I am come to spend, to send peace on earth. I am come not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus not only said these words, but he lived them. He lived them. A lot of people are so committed to life and the life of their family that they allow those commitments to come before their commitment to the Lord. Every, every sacrifice is made there for the family. Every commitment is made there. Every moment is occupied there. And everything around revolves around what's happening in the family. And you know that looks really, really good. But if, it's, if the family's not revolving around Christ, around the Lord and the sinner as the nucleus of that household, it's not revolving correctly. First Timothy 5.8 tells us family business is never more important than the Lord's business. When your family keeps you out of church, there's something wrong. When your family keeps you from serving the Lord, there's something wrong. When your family holds you back in service, there's something wrong. When you have to choose between your family and the Lord, there's something wrong. When you have to ask the question, 
where and what is more important. I've heard over and over and over again from people, especially moms, there's nothing that will stand between me and my children. Even if my children are wrong, I'm still going to support them and take up for them. And you know, that sounds really good and it's very appropriate in a certain context. But working in the prison, I've talked to a lot of inmates who have told me, I wish my mama and daddy had busted my hind end when I needed it and not patted me on the back. I wish a lot of things had happened, but they didn't. And I'm spending 40, 50 years the rest of my life in prison. Listen to me, mamas and daddies. Your family is important, but your family is not as important as the Lord, and your family cannot function appropriately and properly without the guidance of the Lord. Your children can't make good decisions if they don't see you making them. And the only way you can make good decisions is to make them through the Lord. It can't be said any plainer. The foundation of the family is the Lord. That, that was the tense moment that was there. But you see, there was also a teaching moment in verses 33 through 35. Instead of trying to ease these tensions, Jesus turned it up a notch. Instead of reaching out to his earthly family, he spoke to every member in front of him. Every member of his spiritual family. He used this teachable moment as an opportunity to teach eternal truth and eternal life to those, to those who would receive it. So here comes the question, who is my mother or my brethren? The question is very important. The issue is about spiritual relationships. So that is the question that you should ask yourself today. Am I in a personal relationship with Jesus? He answered that question and he said, My brothers and my sisters in Christ, they are my mothers and my brethren. They, the, well, they were the ones that are a child of God. They were the ones that are saved. Are you in that relationship today? It seems that we lose track of the fact that when life ends, nothing is going to matter but your relationship with Jesus. Nothing. When we are laying on our deathbed, when we are when we are saying so long to this life and we're moving into eternity nothing on this earth no relationship is going to be any more important than the one with Jesus and if we wait that long and don't have it. We may not have the opportunity to get it. 
Think about that. We may not have the opportunity. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given whereby men must be saved. And in John 14 verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. In Acts 16.31, we read and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. There's no other way than Jesus. That's the relationship that matters. That's the relationship that's going to help you, Daddy, take your family to church. That's the relationship Mother is going to help you and your husband in your relationship with the family and to go into the church and to let Christ work through you, through your family into the community and, and work and make a difference for Jesus that will last an eternity. That's the relationship that's there. So the qualifications, after he asked the question, Jesus looked at the crowds who believed and followed and he proclaimed them to be his family and then he spoke about what it takes for a person to be considered a member you see first there is a spiritual requirement jesus said that whosoever does the will of the father was a member of this spiritual family so does that mean that, that people get into the lord's spiritual family because of the things they do does it imply that works are a basis of salvation? No, it doesn't. Godly works come from a godly person, and a godly person can only be established through salvation. You can't do godly works without having a godly relationship. And you can't have a godly relationship without a relationship through Jesus Christ. And that's being born again. That's being saved by the blood of Jesus. Either you can say, Amen or oh me. It's one or the other. Either you are or you're not. Either you are or you ain't, as we say here in these mountains. Folks, we got to get it narrowed down and get it back down to where the rubber meets the road and quit making it so complicated. We got to get the reality laid out there that it's all about Jesus or nothing. We've got to get rid of a, all of the, the philosophy and all of the psychology and all of the other really things, twi the twisted things that have made their way into the church and have distorted the doctrine of the Word of God. It's got to come down to that relationship that we have. What about some spiritual realities? We want to talk about, I know I'm saved. I remember the date. I remember the time. I know I'm saved. That's great. But do you have the marks of a Christian? How about the birthmark? Do you realize every born-again child of God has a birthmark? There was a moment when they saw their sins and when they understood they were a sinner and when they knew they needed to have those sins forgiven and redeemed. 
At that moment, they would look away, they would look to Jesus by faith, knowing that without him there's no path to heaven. You see, that's the essence of a new birth is believing in Jesus. The birthmark is a necessity. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water, physical birth, and of spirit, spiritual birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or where it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. In other words, Jesus said the birthmark of a child of his is something that will be seen and experienced and felt by others even though they can't see it. You can stand outside when the wind is blowing and you can feel it and you can experience it, but you can't see it. That's the way it is with a Christian experience with being born again. You can, you can stand in the presence of it and you can feel it. Others can stand around you and they can feel it. But they can't see it. But yet they know it is there. Paul goes on to add in 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold all things are become new. Here is where some of God's family needs help. Dear saint of God when that man or that woman comes before Jesus and has their sins forgiven, their past is forgiven. She may have been a loose living lady. He may have been a loose living man. But if God has forgiven them and they have moved on, you need to let it go. You don't need to be wallowing them around in their past, in the sins that the Lord has forgiven. Who they were is dead in Christ. Now I realize when it comes to personal experiences with people, that may be difficult. But I want you to realize it is necessary if they've been born again, it's new. Life is new. Let the other stuff go. The Lord did, and he expects you to as well. It's time to move on. Not only is there a birthmark, there's a bookmark. Every child of God is a person of the book. And I'm not talking about any old book. I'm talking about this book. The Word of God. The Black and Red. 
child of God has a bookmark. They have a hunger to be in the Word of God. Job chapter 23 verse 12 comes to mind. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job said the words of God were more important to him than even the food that he ate. People of the book pattern their lives after his teachings. Somebody who has no use for the word of God can't be a child of God. So there's a birthmark and there's a bookmark. There's also a knee mark. The born again person is a person of prayer. A person who stays connected, prayerfully connected. See, we it's easy to raise your hand and say, oh yes, I'm a Christian. But do you have those marks? Do you have that birthmark? Do you have that bookmark? Do you have the knee mark of where you're, you're praying and you're seeking and you're searching God? Do you have that connection with Him? With the throne of grace where you can go to it. And you, can, you can reach God and you can touch the hem of His garment with the needs that are so near and dear in your life. What about a collar mark? Remember back in the day, some of you, whisk detergent, said it got rid of ring around the collar? Well, did you ever know, did you ever stop and think about what ring around the collar was? Ring around the collar was things where working people, working men would be out all day in the sun sweating and they would have a sweat ring around their neck, around the collar. A dirty old sweat ring. And it would get ground in and worked in over the course of the day. And it was hard for detergents then to remove it. But, but this one detergent claimed to be that detergent that could get rid of ring around the collar. Well, in other words, what happens and what we're coming to is the mark of the collar is the mark of a worker for Christ. Are you doing work for him that's going to leave a mark on your life? Serious question. A very real question. Do you have the collar mark? The true believer is going to be identified by his works. When a person is truly saved, they're going to be busy for Jesus. Not because they have to, but because they want to. James chapter 2 verse 18. He says, Yea, may may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Which are you thought of as? Are you thought of the person whose faith comes by works? Or are you known as the person who works because of your faith? There's a big difference. A big difference. 
the collar mark of a Christian is someone who works because of their faith. The believer will have an attitude of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve. Jesus said that. Matthew 20, 28 records it. So in conclusion, are you in the family? Which family are you in? Are you in the physical, earthly family? Or are you in the spiritual family? The only way you're going to get in that spiritual family is through Jesus. Through a relationship with Him. Through His blood. The physical family, you can go join a church. You can be baptized. You can go through all of the ordinances of the church. You can look good on the outside. You can smell good on the outside. You can learn the language. You can do all of those other things, but you're merely a part of the physical family if you're not born again. If you don't have the birthmark, if you don't have the bookmark, if you don't have the knee mark, and if you don't have the collar mark, those are all marks of a Christian. And Christian... Today, you may realize that you have those marks, but you haven't been giving them the attention that they deserve. Now is your opportunity to get right with God. Now is your opportunity to get back in His church. Now is your opportunity to move and to go and to develop. Now is your opportunity to love people as Christ loved them. Now is your opportunity to realize you're not the final judge and authority in someone else's life. It's Jesus. Merely accept them at their testimony. Jesus saves sinners. He eats with sinners. He talks with sinners. Jesus lives among saved sinners. Such a beautiful and wonderful life it is. Which family are you a part of? If you're not in the spiritual family, you need to get there. You're being called. If you were not being called, you would not be sitting in front of this message right now. Jesus is dealing with your heart to come to him. Lost person, Jesus is dealing with your heart right now. Saved person, Jesus is asking you to look at your life in comparison to his message and his word. Is it where he wants you to be? Only you and he know that. As I close in prayer, Make your decision which family you're going to be in. Heavenly Father and Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you for everything that you've provided today. I pray that you would anoint it so you send it out to touch hearts and lives. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for all of the, all of the resources that you put in my life to help with your word. Lord, I love you. I thank you for it. Thank you for saving my soul. 
Thank you for reaching those that you're going to reach with this message today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we go, if this message has blessed your heart, would you please share it with someone else? Share it on Facebook. Share it any way that you possibly can with them. It may touch someone's heart and life. It may lead someone to the Lord, and it may do so through you if you'll be obedient to the calling of God. Thank you again for sharing your time with me. Until next week, may God bless you is my prayer. So long.